guys, and welcome to episode 7 of Engineering Success with our special guest, Nick Russell. Nick is a director at Thomason's, an award-winning independent civil and structural engineering consultancy with eight offices throughout the UK. Being qualified as both a chartered civil and structural engineer, Nick has a vast amount of experience from a 36-year career. His significant projects span town centre developments, offices, educational establishments, urban regeneration, site remediation and complex alterations to existing buildings. Nick is in high demand as an expert witness, both in the UK and overseas, and received the Civil and Structural Engineering Expert Witness of the Year Award from Lawyer Monthly in 2016 for his outstanding work. Having had close ties with the Institution of Structural Engineers for many years, Nick was a president in 2014. He is also visiting professor at the University of Surrey, a member of its advisory board and chair of the Joint Board of Moderators, which accredits civil engineering degrees. Hi Nick, and welcome to Engineering Success. It's great yeah, to have you on the podcast. Thank you for uh, coming along. Can we start with, um, how did you first start your career in the engineering industry, and what was the first company you worked for? Yeah, it's a bit of a strange story because my the family roots are the West Country, and by the time I was four, I was up in the southeast with my parents, and we used to frequently go back down to Devon. And I just had this love for the countryside, anything to do with the outside. And at one time, when I was about twelve, I wanted to be a farmer. <laughs> And my grandfather on my mother's side, he, he had three careers. He, in the war, he made aeroplane engines for Napier, which yeah. parts, um, powered the Spitfire. He, had a, he was then a photographer before he retired, which is one of my great hobbies now. So on the one hand, I had this pull from you know, being an engineer and making stuff, which was you know, what my grandfather did was hugely inspirational. Yeah. And on the other side, the countryside. And unbelievably, the Careers Master, I can still remember it, my dad and I sitting in front of the um, Careers Master in this secondary modern school. Nick, why don't you do civil engineering? Because it combines your love for the countryside with engineering. By the way, you need to go and do a degree, which is something which was completely off my radar. <laughs> right. And it's quite clear now that the Careers Master didn't know what civil engineering <laughs> was and they didn't know what he was talking about. So I went up and... Uh, I went through the up my game a little bit. At school, I did sport. I really enjoyed my sport side. I enjoyed the creative stuff, so the metal work, the woodwork, the technical drawing, anything that was making stuff. And better than that, you started to make something you didn't know what it was going to be at the end. Yeah. And I realised that to do a civil engineering degree, I needed an A level in maths, an A level in physics. I'd already got an A level. And technical drawing, I did that in my fifth year. And I worked really hard and I got my A levels, I got two Ds. Uh, unbelievably, when you look back now, in the UCAS forms, my two choices of university required the same grades, right. so I didn't get in anywhere. I went through the clearing system to what was called Tennis Polytechnic, now the University of Greenwich. And I just thought, you know what, you're here, all your mates are working, you're here, it's time to work. 
And why can I not with tennis ball attack first class onwards? Right. Which was a much better result than my A levels. And went to a number of consultancies for interviews. I had six job offers, people like um, Husband and Company, British Rail, the Property Services Agency. And I went to Travis Morgan, or our Travis Morgan partners, as they were called. And they just about celebrated their 50th birthday. And the stuff they were doing was, was inspiring. We were doing the A55 trunk road around the north of, north of Wales. Yeah. Uh, bypasses, bus garages. And I went to work with a guy called Bill Morgan. Um, not, not one of the Travers Morgans. Yeah. And we had a very, very small office in Birmingham. And I got experience very, very quickly. I was very, very fortunate because a job came into the Birmingham office, there was two of us there, and basically I designed it. Right. And I know now the traumas that Bill went through, putting it right, <laughs> covering up the, the cock-ups and everything else that I made. But it was it was a making of me. Yeah. And I then went for my Institution of Structural Engineers exam, I was 24, passed the exam, had to wait to 25 until I was elected. Right. So that's how I got into it, a complete accident, yeah. and went to Travis Morgan thinking it was going to be civil engineering, first and foremost on structural engineering. <laughs> but everybody will have a similar story. Yes, so, I, think, I, think, I think a lot of people do, yeah. But slightly yeah. unusual way of doing it. Yes, yes it is. So who or what's been your biggest inspiration? Um, that's not a strange one, because... When you look back, it will be easy to say, wouldn't it? I, oh, it was Brunel, it was Telford. Yeah. And the person that, the only person, if you like, that I can sort of think about was Tony Blair. And mm -hmm. you think, well, why not Tony Blair? Yeah. And the reason for it was that when he was Prime Minister, I was doing a degree in strategic business management. Right. So for the um, more enlightened partners that we had at the time, realised that we needed people that knew how to run a business as well as do the business. Yeah. And Tony Blair had become the leader of the had been the um, leader of the Labour Party, yeah. and had managed to really suppress the unions. And we, we had got rid of Clause Four, which was um, can't quite remember what Clause Four was, but it was a really a mechanism whereby the unions had greater power on the Labour Party. And yeah. he, he made that party more of a central party, so yeah. it wasn't wildly to the left, and I just think that what he did was to show me that if you really want to do something, you can achieve it, and coming as it did at the time I was doing my business management studies, yeah. it's the one that I remember as being somebody that, yeah, you can you can do this if you yeah, yeah. really want to, yeah. and there's, you know, there's people you look up to now, there's peers and you look at some of the fantastic stuff that they do but I always think when people say it was Brunel that inspired me <laughs> Brunel what a fantastic engineer yeah. but he was a man of the time yeah. and Battlejet who built the London sewers a man of the time yeah. but is that really somebody that truly inspires you mm. being that they practiced 150 years ago yeah. so that's my Right there, Wendy, that's my choice. Yeah, no, I like that a lot. So, um, we know that a lot of leaders uh, have uh, habits, uh, rituals. Do you have any habits that you do every day, every week? Um, keep fit. Right. So, my whole um, 
whole thing throughout my life has been sport. Yeah. So uh, I cycle a lot, I play squash, we walk a lot, I have a passion for sailing that I started at university. Right. So every day I try to do something, um, more in the summer than in the winter, in the evenings you'll find me out on my bike doing 30 or 40 miles. Right. And I just find it keeps the mind clear, it just keeps you, um, it's a focus and it's something that you can think about when you're not in the office. Yeah. And there's probably lots of other habits that I've got that I don't know about. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I'm sure you're going to ask me later about, you know, what you do at work. But yeah. I think the main habit for me has been my sort of lifelong association with sport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what attributes do you need to be a director of Thomason's? Uh, sense of humour, I would say. Um, <laughs> it's been a very interesting journey because when I joined in 1985, yeah. I left Travis Morgan, uh, 900 people, six partners, and went to Thomason's, probably 25 people, and three partners. Right. And it was a, it would be fair to say that it was very autocratically run, and it was a, a partnership of the era. It was the way in which businesses were run, way things way, way things happened. Yeah. And then we we grew. We became a different form of partnership in the early noughties. And then the big stepping stone for us was 2010. 2010, we became a limited company. Right. We made the um, the six partners as we then had became directors. We became equal directors. Yeah. which was something that wouldn't have happened as a partnership. And it was a way of facilitating the retirement of four of the, the four oldest partners at the right. time. Yeah. And two of us carried on, and we took on four new directors that we, we have to this day. And the reason I say that is that if you had asked me 15 years ago, I said, well, you, you've got to be a good engineer, you've got to demonstrate to your clients that you're a good engineer, you've got to be the go-to person within that company. Yeah. And all of that is very focused. Whereas the point that the place that we are now, we have to be good business minded people. Yeah. Of course we have to be good engineers, but it's all about feeling comfortable and delegating to your your team. So one of the attributes, strong attribute of the director here is the, the confidence to delegate. Yeah. The other thing is the realization that you can't all be like kids in a field kicking a football and running after it. You've got to be focused. And one of the things that we've learned also is that you have certain things that you are responsible for. So one of us is responsible for finance, one of us marketing, one yeah. of us sales, one of us technology, one of us the human resources. Yeah. And try not to cross over. So there's an awful lot of trust yeah. that goes into that as well. Yeah. And when you look at an organisation from the outside, it's taken for granted that they are good at what they do. That's what it says on the tin, if you want the, yeah. the cliche. But that isn't always the case. And it's a question of what is it that they do do? You know, no, no organisation does every facet of engineering. Yeah, yeah. So again, we have taught ourselves to recognise the things which we are very good at and, and stick to those. Yeah. So 
The things that you need here is to recognise that to be a director, you, you have to be a good engineer, yeah. in, in, intuitively. You, you, you may not be the person that can do the numbers anymore. You can do the high-level numbers, but you may not know the codes of practice back to front. But yeah, yeah. intuitively, you know what's right and what's wrong. Yeah. And also recognise that it's not a failure if you have people from outside your organisation helping you run the business. Yeah. And we have two people, two such people. We've recently taken on a, a lady marketing director. Right. And we also have a, all but in name, a non-exec who helps me with the, the finance. Right. And again, that would have been something that 20 years ago would have been unthinkable. So it's, I suppose the summary is a sense of humour that I've discussed, a degree of humility, yeah. obviously being a good engineer, but recognising that Running the business is important. Mm -hmm. Engineering is important, but you may not be that person that can can do both. Yeah, and it's having mutual trust as well. Yeah, yeah. So, um, what challenges do you face uh, on a weekly basis? I think there's all sorts of things. Um, as a director of the company, my one of my focuses is finance. Yeah. So one of the things that we have recently concluded is paying, out, paying off the retirees, the four people that I mentioned earlier. Okay, yeah. So a lot of the money that we made on a yearly basis went straight to the retirees. Yeah. Um, looking at strategies, so looking at um, well, how do we how do we avoid doing this in the future? You know, is, is there another is there another mechanism that we can use so that we don't continually have these appointing directors and them leaving and you know, yeah. being a drain on the practice. Yeah, yeah. So that's something we're working on very hard with at the moment. Right. And looking at um, engineering concepts. Yeah. So you know, helping helping the younger engineers. Or what does good look like? How yeah. can we how can we design something? Or how can we look at something to see that the structure is appropriate yeah. before we switch on the computers? Before we get too bogged down in the numbers. Yeah. So I do spend some time helping graduates to do that. Right. Uh, as with all the directors, we have clients that we have grown up with over the many years and keeping in contact with them, yeah. looking at the sales that we're going to, to get. So it's one thing making sure that you've got money to finance the business. It's equally important to make sure that you've got a good throughput of work. Yeah. And making sure we have the right people in each office to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's all sorts of challenges, and as I said earlier, we 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 now focus different directors to to do different things. Yeah. And I suppose it's the the joy the joy of being an engineer. It's not like working in a bank where you know you're going to start at nine thirty. And my wife is a, a she worked in the bank and she would never forgive me. Oh, you, you go home at three thirty. There is a there is a plan for each day. Each day is pretty much the same. Yeah. So one of the challenges I face, I suppose, is each day is different. Yeah. Each week is different, and the projects that come through the office are different. And that, that is the, the fantastic thing about being being an engineer. Yeah. So many, many different challenges. Yeah. So there's some which you know you're going to face, but there's many things that you know are 
Just going to happen. Yeah, yeah. So, what would your number one piece of advice be for somebody uh, starting a career in engineering? I think civil engineering degrees are not easy. So, we don't get many people going for a civil engineering degree right. or going to technical college unless they are absolutely sure that it's for them. Yeah. We do get people who take a civil engineering degree and then go off into finance, go off into um, project management. Yeah. So it's really making sure that do some do some homework first and don't do what I did, which was I took I started with my civil engineering degree but didn't really know what civil engineering is about. Yeah, yeah. So look around you, look at the built environment and just about everything that you'll see has had a degree of civil and structural engineering involvement. Yeah. So making sure that you are comfortable with doing that. Um, we look for people who are creative, so I'm a creative person. Yeah. And you know, this this profession is one of the most creative that you could possibly imagine. Mm. Um, it's diverse, there's the opportunities for travel. There's yeah. opportunities to go into different different areas, so consulting as we are, contracting, research yeah. and design. Just make sure that that's for you, because if you would sooner be an accountant, then that's absolutely fine, then it's better to do that. And I think also, at 18, when we, we, we make our minds up, what, what degree do we want to follow? Yeah. Just... Bear in mind that you've got your whole career in front of you, so you're, you're 18 and you might retire at 68 to make maths into so that's, yeah. that's 50 years. Um, you might change. So equally, don't think, well, I don't want to go into engineering because I'll have to do it for the rest of my working life. Mm. Just um, make sure that you are somebody... I suppose it's... We used to joke and say that if you had a Meccano set as a boy, you would be a good engineer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's a bit of a nonsense, but it's making sure that you are the creative type of person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody that enjoys a challenge and, and then quite possibly engineering is going to be something, or yeah. one of the sciences is going to be something that you're going to fix up. Yeah. So why do you feel there's been a skill shortage in engineering? That's a good question. Um, I think there's many reasons one of them is the parents right. and when we go to careers fairs engineers often get stereotyped yeah. the engineer will come to men with photocopier and my washing machine's broken down we need an engineer yeah. um, we need a we don't seem to get engineers in garages mending cars do we but the point I'm making is that parents quite often do not understand what professional engineering is all about. And you see them at the career stores. They, they will bypass the stores that have got anything to do with engineering. Yeah. And then I think now more than ever, where parents are acutely aware of the need for a good, a good career, the need for a job, yeah. they want, you know, quite, quite correctly, they want the best for their son or daughter. Yeah. And they see, or they think they can see, other avenues yeah. which are perhaps more attractive. Yeah. So the first one is that engineering has been rather stereotyped by everybody. Yeah. 
And I think because of that, the other thing is universities themselves. So universities require a good A-level in maths, yeah. quite often a good A-level in physics, and an A-level in something else. Yeah. And if you think that there are something like half a million graduates or half a million A-level school leavers each year, yeah. engineering might be fishing in a pool of 30,000. But what about the other 570,000, 470,000 of those? And the odds are that many of those would make good engineers mm -hmm. because we need people who are, you know, people that have an interest in art, yeah. people that have an interest in economics, people that have an interest in sociology. Because if you look at some of these larger infrastructure projects that we, we, we achieve in the UK, you, you know, the nuts and bolts engineering, if you call it that, is one part. Yeah. The, the visualisation is another. Can we afford it is another. And yeah. all of these things are things that engineers, in the wider term, should, in the wider sense, should be able to do. Yeah. So universities, I think, take a certain amount of responsibility for that. And one of the things I've been doing for the last three years as chair of the Joint Board of Moderators is saying to universities, Yes, we all know that you need maths as engineers, but you need the level of maths that is necessary to carry out your work. You yeah. don't need to have the lecturer or the professor from the maths <laughs> department coming down and drumming in all sorts of other things into yeah. our students. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a, it's a number of things, and I think if we can start to have degrees, which we, we are making huge strides in, degrees which are really about creativity, really about how do we how do we conceptualise, how do we how do we achieve these fantastic buildings yeah. and these other other items of infrastructure. I think that parents will begin to see and school children will be far more enthused. Yeah. Um, there's a whole thing in there about pricing and salaries. Yeah. The reality is I mean it is fiction. You're, you're not going to earn as much money as a top London solicitor, but engineering ranks very well with most other professions yeah. in the UK. Yeah, yeah. So it, it isn't the money, but the, the industry has this horrible way of pricing against each other, trying to beat each other up, yeah. trying to do things as cheaply as possible. And I won't say it's contractors that are causing that by tendering professional services because professionals are as bad as well. Yeah. Well, what is the least we could possibly do this for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, if there's one thing that comes out of the, the terrible tra tragedy at the um, Grenfell, yeah. uh, the Hackett Report, which I think is, um, is a fantastic piece of work, it would be that the industry starts to take itself more seriously, and by that I mean Let's not cut corners. Let's yeah. do an absolutely fantastic job. Let's have these checks and balances. Let's sign things off. Let's do things. Yeah. I won't say things have been done improperly, but let's make sure that we have that level of rigour yeah. and we put more money back into training people, encouraging people. And I think Judith Hackett was quite surprised when she saw the parallels between the chemical industry and the engineering industry, yeah. how things were different. So... I think there's, there's, there's a lot of things there, but I think it's making it far more attractive 
the public perception. Yeah. Um, perhaps behaving slightly better once we are engineers mm. and making the, the journey between being a school a school child and being a professional engineer, making that a bit more exciting as yeah. well. So you feel that uh, the engineering industry could promote itself better than it does? I think it could. And when I was president of the Institution of Structural, Structural Engineers, yeah. I, I was talking to Michael Hesseltine, of all people. Right. And there was all sorts of bits of work being done about raising the, the profile of engineering. Yeah. And he said, I think disingenuously, well, there's 5,000 um, trade associations out there. Um, which one is to do with you? Now... <laughs> <laughs> I know that he was talking, you know, he was referring to all of the, you know, the Association of Flora Adhesives and goodness knows what yeah, else, but yeah, yeah. the point was very well made. We are, I think the, the infrastructure that we have confuses people. Yeah. And, you know, even some of my good friends, you know, they, they do not understand the difference between designing a structure and building a structure. Yeah. They, they think the contractors come along and build this stuff. Yeah. They think that builders just come along and building it. Yeah. So there's lots of messages there that we can we, we can we, we can get wrong. Yeah, yeah. So what uh, what changes have you seen throughout your career? Um they've been huge. I speak a lot to universities about this sort of thing. Yeah. And if you like the analogy would be that if, if you took somebody that passed their degree in nineteen forty five just after the war. Yeah. And you said that they would have a 45-year career, so um, up to um, 2000. It's probably the case that their degree and the knowledge they got from their degree would have lasted them all the way through that time. Yeah. So they would be using slide rules, they would have been um, using calculation sheets. Mm -hmm. And if, if you just, just to make it a bit easier, if you, if you said 1999 and 2000, so I can demonstrate the point the the pace of change was relatively slow. Yeah. Um, we, we, we had fax machines. We, we didn't really have computer-aided design as we have it now. We certainly didn't have the internet. We didn't have email. And if you like, that degree of change was relatively static. Yeah. It was there, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't quite as huge. Yeah. If you jump forward a couple of iterations, because I do this in jumps, and we look at where we are now, yeah. the pace of change, the rate of change is, is formidable. Yeah. So we've gone from making cars in assembly lines in, in the Midlands, where it is very labour intensive, to making cars by robot. Yeah. And we've gone in my profession to looking at the design of, let's just say, column or beam or something like that, selecting a size, doing the calculations, realising it's not as efficient as you might like it to be, or perhaps it doesn't work, and doing it again, and doing it again. And, and very, very quickly, you develop that skill of being able to get it about right yeah. the first time. Yeah. All of that's gone. You press a button now, you put the loadings in, you press the button, yeah. and out comes your answer. So the, this rate of change is something which is exponential. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, steel steel frame buildings. Now we can we we can design a steel frame building in a fraction of the time that we used to do it. 
we can then pass that file onto a fabricator. The fabricator can integrate that with its software and somewhere out on the um, on the assembly line in the workshop, the, the pieces will be fabricated. Yeah. And you can do a lot of this almost without human intervention. And these are the things that what I worry about is that the profession will become commoditized. Yeah. So professional services, and we can see it in all sorts of places, they start to become a commodity. So it's then a question of what parts of it do you look at and say, well, humans will do what humans do best. And that's going to be the thinking, the conceptualizing, the ideas, the strategy. And they are the bits that probably didn't take quite so long in the past because people had the time, they would think about things and do them. Yeah. And one of the dangers, or one of the Achilles heel, heel of the fantastic software and all of the mechanization that we have is that it's stopping us thinking. Yeah. And I would just use the analogy that, you know, this practice has designed a very large number of the Debenham stores up and down the country. Right. And we, we still work with them and probably modify their stores. And it's very rare to find a drawing that's been revised. Right. Apart from the general arrangement drawing, the plans, yeah. where they might have been revised A, B, C, D, possibly E. Yeah. If you look at a drawing now, we've probably gone past it, and we have probably all of our detailed drawings have been revised a few times as well. Yeah. So somewhere in there, we've got this, that technology is doing some wonderful things, and it enables us to do some fantastic engineering, but it is stopping us thinking. Yeah. Or stopping this thinking clearly. So the big change I've seen, I think, is that we try to we try to do things too quickly. We're doing things without thinking, and we're often doing things without thinking through the consequences. So you know, graduates in our organisation here, the first thing they do is to go back to some basics and start to understand what good looks like. Right. And they, you know, we, we we yes, it's not that we lock the computers away, but we we encourage them not to use the computer yeah. and start to think about things and you know just do some numerical work and yeah, just yeah. think about what it is that you're you're doing. Yeah. And we're seeing this, you know, we're seeing this in every walk of life. And it's I suppose if you go back to Travis Morgan we had a typing pool. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. Now we, we do have typists but you know they're on receptionists, they do all sorts of other yeah. things and and it is just the it is just the way that technology has helped us. Yeah. So the big change for me is, you know, the technology that we have, but it is also the biggest stress, I think, that it allows us sometimes to um, not think things through. Yeah. As, as as well as we might do. Yeah. So how do you see it changing in the next five to ten years then? Um, I think that the successful practices will look at. So we were touching on a little earlier, they, they will be looking at the things that really do add value. Yeah. And things like, let's you know, get into the, a bit of detail, reinforced concrete drawings, things yeah. like steelwork drawings, will be a thing of the past. It's already going that way. Yeah. And to be successful, we're going to have to show clients how they can do things better, how they can think things through, what new technology is available, what new materials are available, how can we reuse 
the buildings that we've built in the past. Yeah. So why knock everything down and start again? Which is something that we, you know, we, we've been looking at renewing buildings ever since I've been here. Right. So, you know, how do we reuse materials? How do we build things that can be taken down, can be dismantled and constructed elsewhere? Yeah. Because it must be the case that it's becoming harder to construct a building that will be relevant in 60 years, whereas 60 years ago it was a relatively simple thing to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, businesses are changing quickly. Um, are we going to need so many offices? So can we can we build an office that we think in 10 years' time might be something else? Mm. So that is where I see the, the main changes taking place. Right. Okay. It's all going to be about thinking <coughs> and analysing and sort of working our way forward. Yeah. So uh, how do you keep yourself motivated, Nick? Um... Some days I don't, to be honest. <laughs> um, I think it's, I'm very, very lucky because I, you know, I'm, I'm a director here. Yeah. I do a lot of work for the institutional structural engineers. I do some work for the civils. The joint board of moderators is something that's owned by four engineering institutions. Yeah. I do some that sort of modest amount of charity work outside. So, the motivation is about doing lots of different things, and the the thing that I get out of it most is helping other people. Right. So, helping people prepare for their professional examination, yeah. or it might be helping the institution to, you know, what makes a good board of trustees. Yeah, and I have been, you know, some people say, well, you know, you're, you're lucky to have done it, or but equally, you have to make your own luck. Yes. To, you know, you don't, these things don't happen by accident. Yeah. So the motivation comes from all sorts of different different things, and you know, and occasionally even trying to find a solution for a client. I was talking to somebody this morning. She wants. Um, she has a, a very nice, very large house in in the West Country, and she wants to put a circular turret right. in one corner sticking out of the roof. <laughs> And I'm thinking, wow, yeah, yeah. that's going to be a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Um, so all of these, all of these things, the things that don't motivate me is repetition, yeah. rules and regulations. <laughs> the things I really, really enjoy doing are trying to make a difference and trying to do things that we haven't done before. Yeah. So um, we all know it's really important to continually develop ourselves. How do you continually develop yourself? Uh, Keep your eyes open. The, it, it, it's quite amusing because each of the professional institutions have a requirement for CPD, continuing professional development. Yeah. And many people say, well, but you need to start running courses. Um, I don't have time for CPD. Yet every professional in the country is doing CPD, is updating themselves all the time. Yeah. And it's the the new project. There's always something about a project that you've not done before. Yeah. I've spent 25 years doing expert witness work, so I won't say that it, in a funny way I've benefited from mistakes that other people have made. But again, it makes you look at that and think, well, if I'm really honest, might I have done that? Or, yeah. you know what, I would never have done that. So, 
And it's just looking at all the things that you're involved in. Yeah. Um, and seeing, well, actually, I could do with learning a bit more about this. I've, over the years, I've taught myself a little bit more about high-rise buildings. You know, what makes them stable? Yeah. You know, not, not about the detailed design, but you know, how does it work? We have a very successful office that deals with structural glass. Right. So, yes, I'm, I'm interested in that. So I took myself off to learn about the different types of glass and how we apply them. Right. And again, not to design it, because that's, you know, we have other people that will always do that better. Yeah, yeah. So it's all the time finding things out there that are interesting that add to your knowledge. Yeah. And you can do that. Yes, reading is important, keeping up to date is important, but just looking around you and being inquisitive yeah. will also provide the answers as well. Yeah, yeah. So more generally speaking, um, what attributes do you think are essential uh, for professional success? Generally, um, if we you know, sort of take it generally rather than engineering, yeah, it's interesting because if you go back 30 years, there would be people that would graduate and, yes, I want to become a registered professional, then I want to become an associate, then I want to become a director or yeah. a partner, and I see that as more, I see that as, I see that as success. Yeah. But increasingly now, we're seeing people in all sorts of professions where they're saying, well, actually, my success is that I've made a difference in the, in the week. Um, I want to be paid fairly for doing some fantastic um, legal work or some fantastic accountancy. And then I want to go work the weekend and I just want to enjoy myself. And I don't want to own a house. I'll rent a house, thank you very much. I don't want those responsibilities. And I don't want the responsibility of being a a leading person in an organisation. I just want to do this stuff. Yeah. So professional success has to mean being good at what you're doing. I don't think it means anymore that I've become a partner in this, I've become a partner in that. Mm. Now, of course, you get some very, very high flyers and figures of industry that yeah. have achieved these things. Yeah. And that is also success. And I think everybody should just look at what they've achieved and whether to them that is success or not. And if it's not, then perhaps you should look at achieving something else. And if you look at anything, actually, yeah, I'm pretty happy with that. And I think that's that's where you should be. And, mm. and it's not a very British thing, but actually be proud of it. And yeah, yeah. I say, yeah, yeah I, I've done that. Yeah. And I think that's what I think that's what professional success is all about. Yeah. So have you had any mentors along your journey? Um, I suppose yes and no. So if I look back to Travis Morgan, mm -hmm. I mentioned Bill Morgan earlier, yeah. and I, I fell on my feet there, I think. And, you know, there was this associate that was building up a base in the Midlands, and I just happened to be the graduate that came along at the time, and that was absolutely huge because, yeah. as we said, you know, I, I, I got through my institution structural engineers examining in, in, in very short order. Yeah. So he was an absolutely fantastic mentor, very, very good engineer, somebody that, again, was never going to be a director of a company, but was always going to be that fantastic designer, that yeah. very, very good engineer. So that's, I, I got a lot from, from that person. Mm -hmm. 
Um, probably not quite so much in Thomasons. So mm. you know, it, it's true that you've, you know, as, as you work your way through the company, you, you work for different people. Yeah. But probably not people that have, um, yes, yeah, so they've, you know, they've, they've helped you educate yourself. They've given you opportunities, and it would be wrong to say that if you know a certain partner hadn't said, well, actually, Nick, Nick should be a partner, then it wouldn't have happened. But then. One or two of us also banged at the door and said, actually, we'd like to be partners because we, we, this, is, this is what we want to do. Yeah. So I think, you know, other people have probably been outside the organisation. Right. So, you know, I mentioned earlier, I, I do a lot of sailing. Yeah. You know, there's one person there who, you know, sort of took me from somebody who was a competent dinghy sailor to somebody that can sail a much bigger boat <laughs> over the channel overnight. Right. So again, there's there's mentoring there, and yeah. it was done in a way that I suppose there's a big difference between being taught and learning. Yeah. And he allowed me to learn. He didn't drum all of the navigation theory and all the other stuff into me because it would have just gone in there and come out. Yeah. There. yeah. Um, I think really the best the people that have mentored me the most or been most effective have been those people that have allowed me to find out things for myself yeah. rather than sitting down and saying, today you're going to learn this, tomorrow you're going to learn yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So when you look at it that way, there's been many, but probably only one or two that really, if you like, stick out as ones that you, know, you, would, you would go back and always remember. Yeah, yeah. So if you had the opportunity, would you change any part of your career? Um, depends what day of the week you ask me. Um, <laughs> if I'm honest, I don't think I would. Um, you know, as, as you go through as you go through your working life, there's other opportunities there. You yeah. think, should I go for an interview here? Should I go and do that? And it would be wrong to say that I haven't done that. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've got to look at what's best for you and your family and your career. Yeah. I mentioned earlier, I, I've done a lot of expert witness work. So yeah. I did go through a stage thinking, yeah, it'd be nice to be a barrister. But when you see what barristers do, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure. Right. Um, yeah, it would have been nice to have designed the Channel Tunnel or... Heathrow, or yeah. you know, worked for Arabs, worked on these really fantastic, you know, really, really big schemes. But yeah. then I've worked on many, many schemes up to, I don't know, sort of £500 million, maybe, yeah. few and far between. But, you know, the the stuff that we do here is sort of between £10 million and £100 million. And some of the engineering challenges there are, are really good. Yeah. So I think, you know, if, if, you, if you take it in the round, I think I'm very fortunate I'm not sitting here now thinking, I wish I'd done this, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. wish I'd done that. Yeah. And I, I did have a little foray at one time thinking I would go and work for the Institution of Structural Engineers. Right. Um, but the guy who did that has become a very good friend and, if I'm honest, has done it far, far better than I have done. <laughs> so I think in the right. round, I'm, I don't think there's anything that I would really, I would really change. Right. Okay. I've been very lucky, but then, as we were saying earlier, I've had a a very wide-ranging career, yeah. in sort of helping other people, doing yeah. professional engineering work, working in an organisation. Yeah. I've, I've been here now for 38 years, right. so it must have been I'm fairly, fairly happy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
So having achieved so much, uh, what does the future hold for you? Um, I'm not going to say retirement. <laughs> uh, I have just this April gone from five days a week to four days a week. Right. I'm finding it very difficult because <laughs> I, I, you can't be you can't be Girl Friday or you know so you, you, you you've got to do the job and my job is you can't say to somebody I'm not with Friday. So yeah. the challenge is to still find a way of doing that. Yeah. Um, I want to do a little bit more work for charity. Right. I'd like to do a little bit more for a professional institution because they've, you know, supported me hugely. Yeah. The the practice or the company Thomasons, we've we've had a a good sort of look at what we're doing ourselves. So you now have um, one of the other younger directors that's taken on the mantle as managing director. Right. So it means I I still think all the time about where we should be going and we're working together, but yeah. Some of the other stuff that I sort of inherited was being the link from the previous partnership right, to the yeah. current one. Yeah. A lot of that's now been shared out. So I think, you know, doing doing a little bit more sort of imagination work, doing the um, conceptual work right. is, is something that I really find interesting. Yeah. I, I still draw, enjoy doing my expert witness work. Right. I enjoy doing my um, institution work. Yeah. So it's the if you like, it's that variation of things. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not sort of looking at full retirement anytime soon. <laughs> but uh, you know, it has you know you have to acknowledge that you you have to be in a position to allow other people to um, take up the mantle yeah. as, as we go through. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Nick, that's it. Thanks very much okay. for your time. Uh, great to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you very much indeed. Join us next time on Engineering Success for more insights from successful and inspirational leaders within the engineering and construction industries. I would love you to subscribe to the podcast and please leave a rating and review. Have an amazing week and see you next time on Engineering Success.